is a delight to be here and to preach alongside of Gracie, who is also sharing in the corner. Um, no, it is, it is absolutely amazing to be here. Um, it's kind of a miracle because uh, all four of us are here, uh, including my two children, and we drove here because um, uh, one of the reasons we decided to drive is because our daughter would have been air marshaled off the plane. Okay? <laughs> Uh, both our children have autism. That's not who they are, but they are functionally nonverbal. Uh, and but they are some of the bravest people I know. You might not see it, but they are incredibly brave and delightful, and they have changed my life and enriched it in uh, both Laurel and I in so many ways. Amen. Oh, right. <laughs> So I got a call from Kendall, well, a text from Kendall this week uh, saying, hey, you're going to be in town. Would you like to preach? And uh, I thought a lot of things at that moment. Um, some of them I'll share with you now. Um, well, I thought, okay, well, what can I share off the top of my head? There isn't a lot on the top of my head <laughs> to share these days. Uh, of course, neither with Kendall, so, you know, we're in good company. I, I love being with Barb and Kendall, um, not just because they're great relatives, great family, because every time I spend time with them, I, I come away with, why don't I always see this? They are some of the most godly, spirit-filled people I know, and um, I'm humbled to be in their presence. I'm humbled to hear their stories. I'm humbled to see their faithful service uh, to you, and I'm delighted to be in Warman, I, the Saskatoon area. Um, it occurred to me this morning I owe a lot to Saskatoon because my parents met in Saskatoon. So if it wasn't for Saskatoon, I wouldn't be here or anywhere else. So I'm, I'm very thankful for Saskatoon and, of course, Mormon. And so anyways, Kendall asked me to preach, and I, th I said yes. I thought of uh, words of a friend of mine I went to Bible school with who said, you know, a good preacher should always be willing to preach, pray, or die at every opportunity. Well, I'm just going to take the dying option off the menu right now. I'm not prepared to do that. Um, you don't offer a martyrdom service here. <laughs> do stone guest preachers? Um, but I will, instead, I will preach briefly. It's summertime, so I'm really going to be brief, I, God willing. And I am going to pray for you. And, and the good news is, you know, when you get a missionary speaker, you think, oh, good, I'm going to feel guilty. Um, Actually, I have a word of encouragement to bring to you, mostly. Um, I, you know, sometimes we need to feel guilty, but this isn't what God has for us today. So, so, you're, so be blessed. Um, but one of the main reasons I said yes, well, partly because God gave me something to say this week, thankfully. Um, but partly, I just want to say thank you. Uh, you, by the way, support us. You've been supporting us for over a year now, our ministry. Uh, some of you didn't know you supported us, um, and Kendall explained it. I, I usually just tell people I, I run a, the Canadian Office of a Humanitarian Organization, and our heart is to work in the world's impossible places. And it's been our privilege over the years to be involved in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Syria, um, in Chad, and the list goes on. Um, interesting places, impossible places where you have to be a little bit crazy, but because of the call of God... 
The call of God and crazy sometimes look the same, but they're not. Um, because if you do things without the call, then you really are crazy. But, uh, you know, because of you, you make so many things possible. Um, for, uh, among other things, you know, missionaries always have to raise, your, raise their support, which is difficult. You know, we have to ask people for money. Not just ask people for money, but to ask people to support us. I am thankful a couple of years now, our needs have been met fully, at least our support needs, and it's really nice. So sometimes I forget how to thank people because... We just take it for granted. I never want to take your sacrifice, your giving, your partnership with us for granted. And because of you, you make so many things possible. Uh, because I'm not raising money for myself anymore, I'm able to, we were able to raise some funds this last year, well, last month, for uh, a ministry that partnered with 400 house churches in Iraq. Did you even know there were 400 house churches in Iraq? <laughs> I didn't. Um, so, you know, God is on the move. You know, you, you know there's, there's all kinds of horrible things happening in this world. You know, like Syria, for example, and, and Iraq. A lot of the tragedy of the historical church has been driven out of there. And we can focus on that fact that the historical church has been driven out of Syria by persecution. Or you can focus on the fact that what has happened is that God has drawn so many... Um, we call them Muslim background believers because they were Muslim, but now they're following Jesus. There are more Syrian Christians now in, than there have ever been in history. Most of them are not in Syria at the moment because they've fled, and as they've come to these new lands, their hearts are touched and reached. And so God is at work. And I play only a really small part of it. My ministry, I call myself a door opener. Uh, we facilitate uh, mission organizations placing workers in not just frontiers, uh, in um, restricted access countries. And uh, so I just, my, my job is to open doors. And I love doing that. Uh, to do little things well. And, and administration is a big part of my work. And to be honest, that's not what I thought my life was going to be. But, and at times I've been stretched, but over the years I've gotten better at it. And I realized this last year, I'm actually pretty good at what I do. You know, and... Um, it's been not because I'm particularly clever. Um, I mean, I'm a bit of a math atheist. Kelvin tried to get out of, you know, Kelvin and Hobbes cartoon? He tried to get out of math class on religious grounds that he was a math atheist. He didn't believe that one and one equal two. It didn't work, but um, sometimes that's the logic of atheism as well. <laughs> Just trying to get out of math class. Um, but God is blessed, and I have a great board and a great overseas staff and great bookkeeping help. And as I've become able to... Hello! As I've become able to... I love this. If, you get, if the preacher gets boring, you can just look at these cute cherubs. That's great. Um, although now I can't remember what I was going to say. Um... Anyways, the Lord is blessing it, but, you know, the unfortunate thing about getting good at your job is that the Lord starts to ask you to do more things. And uh, so lately my heart is challenged, um, so my role is changing not just from, you know, administration, but advocate and storyteller and mobilizer and fundraiser and partner and resource, and occasionally I get to travel and get my hands dirty as well. 
So lately, my heart has been to take on some initiatives, and they scare me to death. Um, uh, one is a rapid intervention network, which I'm a part of, uh, mostly with Frontiers and other organizations, uh, to, to, to place global workers in areas of disaster at a more, a more timely rate and to respond uh, to disasters at a more timely rate. What has happened uh, over the last couple of years is, for example, a couple of years ago, we were, we were responding to a crisis by all the displaced, internally displaced refugees, IDPs, uh, in, uh, in the Mosul area of northern Iraq. They, were, they had to flee from the ISIS and Iraqi army conflict. And uh, it was wintertime, and people were literally, literally freezing to death as they were staying in abandoned shelters and tents, and it was winter. Um, and uh, so we began raising funds to respond to this need. Our partners in Iraq had this proposal uh, of uh, winterization kits, which included heaters and all kinds of necessary things just for survival. And people were dying, and so it's still, I still kind of tear up about it when I think about it. What happens, we raise the money, praise God, and we were able to send the resources, but it, was, it took us three months to do it. And by that time, um, the needs had changed. It wasn't winter. So we, were, we, we talked to our foundation partner that gave us a lot of the money and said, well, can we change this to food kits? And they gave us the, the permission to do that. But I just think sometimes it's a missed opportunity. So the Lord's put on my heart to raise up funds for... A, uh, a crisis response fund. So we have about $2,500. I really haven't spoken to anyone about this yet, but the Lord's been putting on my heart to raise $200,000. I'm not asking you today for that. <laughs> just get that out of the way. I'm just sharing this vision that is scaring me a little bit. Um, but I, I think it's of God. And, and so that's been one of the things that the Lord's been putting on my heart. Uh, the other thing is... Uh, and this has been maybe an inspiration for Laurel, who's at our church in Langley. She's the assistant children's, yeah. assistant family life pastor, working with children. <laughs> so I'm right. Just the title's wrong. Uh, actually, this is payback time. I often like listening to Laurel describe my job, and she 90% gets it right. Um, Kendall was about 80% right. So, you know... <laughs> But, you know, uh, I'm about 95% right about what my job is. I sometimes get it wrong, too. Someone once said, you know, as a, as a nonprofit director, uh, your job description is actually pretty easy. You just have to make everything work. So, <laughs> and I think that's pastoring, too. You know, you don't have a big, complicated job description. You just have to make everything work. Although, thankfully, when we partner with God, He is the one who actually makes everything work, not us. Um, so the other thing is, I, so I, I, made a, I made a list this last couple of weeks, of, and I, I contacted our field workers and our partners, not just, so we have a couple of agencies we partner with in, in the U.S. and in England. I began to ask them, well, what are your kids' programs? Because Laura was running a busy kids' camp, and I thought, well, I've been thinking about kids, you know, I just, and I, we, the donor that gave us funds for the relief in Iraq, I, I, I'm working up the courage to talk to them about children's ministries because they, a big part of what they do is child sponsorships. So, so I made a list of, okay, who do I know that are connected to us that are working with children and where are they working? So we, 
So I made this list and I came up with, we have people in Afghanistan, Egypt, Bangladesh, India, Nepal. You don't have to remember this, it won't be on the test. Romania, Haiti, Libya, Mexico, I can't even remember it either. Iraq, Kyrgyzstan, Cambodia, the UK, Indonesia, El Salvador. And then I became a list, what are they doing? So we have schools, that's, you that's a typical children's ministry thing, the child sponsorships. Refugees, okay, that's not typically what you think of as children's ministry, but most refugees are children. Street kids, uh, we have a ministry in Central Asia working with street kids. 10,000 children in, in, in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan are homeless. Uh, social work, uh, working in the slums in India, caring for children with HIV. Again, you don't think of this as children's ministry. Helping children with drug addiction. Um, rescuing from human trafficking. So, um, so these are great ministries, and we, you know, Laura's been speaking to Mike, how can we better partner with them and get them resources and come alongside them? So I don't know exactly all of what God's going to do, but I've been challenged to do something about that. And these, in a way, these are kind of impossible things. I'm scared to take them on, but I'm reminded of a quote I came across recently, and I'm just going to read it to you. Um, it was actually from this uh, 14th century Arab historian named Ibn Khaldun, and I, don't ask me how that pronunciation goes, and again, this will not be on the test. Uh, he, was a, he was writing about caravan routes in North Africa, um, uh, in the Sahara Desert, and he was a great believer in road trips and taking journeys, but he said that most people don't dare to do it. And he says, but those who dared who make, on, make these long journeys go on these different difficult journeys, it added a, a rare quality to the merchandise, and they were the one, that's the reason, in his words, why these medieval merchants were the wealthiest, because they were the ones who dared, but most people didn't dare. And he said something really interesting, why most people don't dare. He was talking particularly about this one particular desert route, which is, which is a very dangerous route between Marrakesh and Timbuktu. Now, Timbuktu was a phenomenal, in the, the 14th century, was a phenomenally wealthy place, Gold, salt mines. The, the king of, of uh, Timbuktu rivaled Solomon in terms of wealth. He, would, he gave money to um, some distant rulers, uh, I think it was in Mecca, brought down the world price of gold because <laughs> he just gave away so much. Um, but anyways, there was, there was a motivation to go there. But he explained that there... But he said something about why most people don't. And I can't stop thinking about it because I think it has a lot of application to our life. They have to cross a desert made almost inaccessible by fear and thirst. The distance of this ordeal is braved only by a few people. I thought of these two words, fear and thirst. And that's what holds us back so many times. We, Kendall spoke and we sang about, I am no longer a child of fear, slave to fear. Great song, I should learn it. Um, I should sing it when I'm afraid. Um, I have given myself an assignment this week to, to think about, you know, being all the passages in the Bible talk about fear not. It is probably the most repeated command in the Bible, do not fear. Fear not alone is repeated over a hundred times in Scripture. And if you add up other passages that talk about don't being afraid, it's over 300 passages in the Bible that talk, tell us don't be afraid. I had a Hebrew, um, 
I studied Hebrew, don't know any of it, uh, back in seminary. <laughs> and uh, this Hebrew instructor, you know, talked about God using, re- or the, in the Psalms in particular, talking about the use of repetition. When God repeats himself, he really, it's really important. And one of the most important things that God has for us today is do not be afraid. The other thing that holds us back is thirst. I mean, you can conquer your fear, and you can go like an idiot into the desert, you know, or a brave man, woman, charge out into the desert, but if you don't have water, you're going to die. We need to fill our lives with, with resources, with the living water, with sustenance. We need to nourish our souls. I spoke a little bit about my parents meeting in Saskatoon. Um, my father uh, was a pastor. He was uh, actually a pretty smart man. He was the valedictorian of his class at Horizon. That way. <laughs> Payback time. <laughs> I often do that to Laurel when she points in one direction. I start to do. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, but ministry was difficult. Uh, he was very clever. He could get up and wing it, preach, uh, but he became discouraged and didn't nourish his own soul. And for, for many years, he fell away from God and left the ministry and was broken and discouraged. And um, he left home, left us when I was four. Again, God reached out to him and broke through to him. But it, it was many, many years. I suppose there's many reasons why a person throws in the towel or gives up or loses faith. But in his case, it certainly was he stopped nourishing his soul. He stopped taking in the living water. And I mean, I, there's probably other reasons too, but that is one thing I often think about because I'm not always very good at nourishing my soul and taking in the living water. If you take on any kind of ministry, but you don't fill your soul, if you try to walk with God, but you're not walking with God... <laughs> You're going to shrivel up and die. So thirst is the other reason why we don't reach the other side of the desert journey. I am going to skip ahead a bit here. The other reason I, I decided I was to say yes to Kendall because two weeks ago I read this verse. And if I was a clever man, this would be enough. I could, make, I could pull up a sermon just out of this one verse. But I have enough, I'm brave enough to just share a thought with you. I want, the text is 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, charge. Oh, you don't do Bible drills here. Um, and I'm going to read, it's just the greeting of, of Peter. And it goes like this. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I might as well finish the sentence. Who have chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. I really just wanted to focus on that first verse and three little phrases. God's elect... Strangers on the earth and scattered. Let me unpack that very briefly. 
Um, now, I, I should say, this is not going to be profound new truth for anyone here, I hope. But sometimes God just needs to remind us of things we already know. And this message isn't about what we should be doing. It's just a reminder of who we are. And this is very important to remember who you are. God's elect. And this is probably the most important thing of these three little phrases I've got here. Because with, you know, for example, being strangers on the earth, or exiles as some translations put it, and scattered in and of itself isn't good news. But when it's tied with God's elect, that changes everything. It stands as things on its head. And it's very important that we remember this, that we are God's elect. You're God's elect even if you feel you don't deserve it, especially if you don't. You are God's elect, and you are called to be part of his purpose. And, you are, and remember that God calls the most unlikely people, not the clever people, not the wise. He calls broken people. A couple of years ago, I read this book about uh, people that were effective in Muslim evangelism in the Muslim world, and this scholar tried to reach out to about 100 different effective, because Muslim outreach is traditionally known as very difficult. <laughs> uh, and for people that are successful at it, what's the key? What's the dynamic? And so this guy researched all their different methods, and their methods were all very different. They only had one thing in common. They were broken people. God uses broken people. Because I think when we are broken, God heals us and makes us stronger. So if you've, you've, if you've got, experienced any kind of pain in your life, you might not believe it, but you are richer for it. If you've suffered it in any way, you are like Jesus who suffered. So remember, you are God's elect. He has chosen you. And you are God's elect when you have failed, and we all fail. You are God's elect, and you must remember that he loves you, and you must never forget it. Because, and because we are God's elect, everything else changes. And so we are also strangers on the earth. We are, I want to remind you this morning that we are not, this isn't our home. Yes, we are here. Uh, in some of your translations, uh, it might read exiles. You're in exile. Exile is, you know, we think of it as a negative word, uh, driven away, um, refugees. But it's actually a blessing. It's a reminder that we don't have to fit in at all times. We don't have to be trendy. We don't have to even be clever at, you know, appealing to the world. We have to be authentic. People are hungry for authenticity. Um, we can't compete with, you know, the bells and whistles of, you know, of the world's media and celebrities. But we do have is Jesus and transform lives and... What we really need is to live what we say, to, in our hearts, to be open, even in our brokenness, to be strangers on the earth. We are voluntary, though. We're not just, we don't, we have chosen, as Jesus did, to walk outside the camp. We are pilgrims walking through strange places, but always leading to glory. And finally, just the word I want to leave with you is scattered. Now, in this particular 
verse is just a description of where the people are and happens to be in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. But the, the word scattered is mentioned several times in the Bible. Uh, I think of how God scattered the people in the Tower of Babel and back in Genesis. I think of how God scattered the church through persecution in the book of Acts. And in both those cases, it, the scattering might have seemed like a hardship, but it worked out to a blessing where, you know, you know a farmer, I'm not a dangerous analogy for me to use in Saskatchewan, but I don't know a thing about agriculture. In fact, I got in trouble years ago when I was working at, at a senior's care home. This lady brought me a pallet of flowers to plant in the garden. So I put the whole pallet into the ground in one spot. It didn't separate anything out. Didn't know you were supposed to do that. She almost had a heart attack, poor thing. But Laurel helped me, and I corrected the problem. But, but you know, just like, you know, we're not all supposed to be planted so close together. We're supposed to be scattered. You, Kendall can't reach all the places that you are supposed to be. The Lord has scattered you throughout this Warman area in Saskatoon to be, to be salt and light and to bear fruit and to grow. And so God scatters us. Why? So that we can bear fruit. Well, that's the preaching part done, and I just want to leave you with a prayer. And my prayer for you today is that God would fill you. I pray that God would remind you of who you truly are. I pray that you would know just how wonderful it is to be God's elect, to be his chosen. I pray that God would do the impossible. A couple, and, and I pray that you would sense that with God all things are possible. A couple of months ago, I was at a gathering of, of workers in Turkey, global workers, missionaries, and there was a prayer meeting there, and a, a small group went away from the main meeting, and they prayed for an hour for the nation of Sudan. Now, the nation of Sudan is a very difficult country. It still is a very difficult country. Very difficult to share the gospel there. Uh, a very corrupt government regime. And they prayed for an hour for the nation of the Sudan, for the gospel to bear fruit. The next day, the government collapses. Now, coincidence? <laughs> Someone said, uh, actually, the a close friend of mine who runs a lot of prayer conferences in the Muslim world says, you know, when you pray like this, you should watch the news afterwards and, and just believe what God's doing. So I'll just leave you with that, that, you know, have faith that God is going to work in your life. You are God's elect. You might be strangers here on the earth. This world is in your home, but God is going to do things in you, and you are going to bear fruit in the places he's scattered you to.